Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to and or back to the Jet Real Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Therese, and this is going to be the third episode of me answering you guys' questions. Um, I have some things that I would like to say about that as far as I hope that you guys are enjoying this and it's actually helpful. Um, it really helps me out because I don't have to sit down and write thousands of emails. I can just sit down for an hour or two and talk to you guys and hopefully help more than one person <laughs> by um, answering your questions. And also, I don't have a ton going on right now. Um, I may soon in the weeks to come and then I'll have a topic that I want to spend the entire hour talking about. But for now, I think it is useful and wise to use my time talking to you guys and answering your questions. So without further ado, let us rock and roll into it. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, we are back, and I have a ton of emails to answer today. Um, I posted on Instagram and updated because people um, keep sending emails to Jet Equithery, and I have a hair of OCD, just a touch. My therapist calls it a streak, and I hate for it to be in that email. I know that's, like, super picky, but I hate for it to be in there because <laughs> then I have to use two emails while I'm doing the podcast, but it's fine. I can answer it from there. It is no biggie, but... Um, yeah, there is a ton. But um, I reposted on my Instagram that to send it to your question. Oh, my God. Speak. I posted on my Instagram on both accounts, Jet Real and Jet Equithery, to send your questions to uh, jetrealpodcast at gmail.com. And boy, did I ask for it. <laughs> um, so let's see. That's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 that I have marked for answering on the podcast. Um, so let's just get to it. Um, this email is a bit long. Uh, a lot of you guys always send me like super long emails and I love it because there is a lot in there that is so nice and sweet, but it takes me a second when I'm like trying to read it for the podcast to like find where the question is. Um, but do know that I acknowledge all of the kind things you say. It just makes me a little uncomfortable to read compliments and like how much you love the podcast on the podcast. Cause I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I'm patting myself on the back. It feels weird. I don't accept compliments well, but I, I do appreciate it. It, it means the absolute world to me because my podcast is my love child. I love this thing with all my heart. Um, okay. So let's get into the question here. 
Um, I've recently been given the opportunity to, by my trainer, to gentle a horse who was wild caught and ultimately ended up in a kill pen. She was completely unhandled and very scared of humans, so she may have experienced abuse as well. Um, my trainer uses a mixture of pressure and release and positive reinforcement in her methods, although she doesn't use a whole lot of clicker training, target training, etc. But she's fine with me using it with the rescue horse and learning about what works for her. One main problem, however, is our lack of good hay supply. Girl, I feel you. Our area has had a terrible growing season, or had a terrible growing season last year, and most of the hay we get from the barn is almost like straw. Same. Like, we have a whole, like, round of hay in our barn right now that is full of, like, just straw. It looks atrocious, and the horses are like, uh, I'd rather eat the dirt. (laughs) Um... Uh, this means all the horses are very excited about mealtime, and even plain hay pellets are a huge motivator for the rescue horses, uh, as they are better than anything else offered in her free grazing. We don't really have much grass, and I can't hand graze her on the grass we do have because she um, can't quite have a halter on yet. We are close with that. Um, sometimes this means she can display anxious behaviors during training of food because she's really motivated to get the reward. I can't use scratches as a reward with her yet because her being, um, pet is still somewhat stressful, although getting better each day. How would you suggest handling this situation? Um, I have tried training with the hay they have available, available, but she shows, oh my God, Joe, get it together. Um, she shows zero interest and won't even take it from my hand. Grass and hay pellets are so motivating that she will display anxious behaviors like bobbing her head, holding her ears back, not pinned, but not really relaxed either, rushing through behavior she knows, or walking away and quickly pacing before coming back to the food. Grass is a little better than the hay pellets and her staying calm, but I run out much faster and leaving halfway through a training session to grab more is frustrating to the her. <laughs> um, at a certain point, pressure and release almost seems less frustrating in this situation because she, at least she doesn't experience the anxiety about food, but I'm really dedicated to working with her positively because she responds well. And when we get a good hay shipment in and she's eating quality forage, sorry for the long email, no worries at all. Any feedback on how to handle this issue is much appreciated. Da, 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 da. Um, okay. So what I would say about that is an extremely tricky situation. And I'm sure that there are um, people who are probably much better at answering this. Um, one of my favorite people is Alt Eventer, A-L-T Eventer on, uh, Twitter. Very knowledgeable person. Um, and Meyer Horsemanship on Instagram, M-E-Y-E-R Horsemanship. Um, both of those people are phenomenal. Um, the Willing Equine, Adele, um, is super good at, um, answering questions like this. This is not my forte, um, uh, but I will attempt to answer to the best of my ability. Um, so in that situation, I'm trying to think what I would do. Cause we have like really shoddy hay, but we have a little bit of grass, but, um, I have noticed an increase in, um, Zoe's like nickering at me when, uh, I walk past, she's like, Hey, come on. And when I'm out there, she talks a bit more because she's excited about the treats, but I have had two years of clicker training, um, to sort of, um, you know, make that a bit easier. Um, and she's never dealt with, um, you know, being deprived of food or anything like that. So in this situation, I think what I would do is, um, the goal is to try and lower the value of the alfalfa pellets. So, um, maybe having them freely available. The only problem with that is that could get expensive, but like if you could, um, you know, maybe feed them with her meal or have a bowl of them sitting beside, cause what you'll want to do is, um, create contra freeloading. 
Um, that's contra. I don't know if I'm saying that clearly, but contra freeloading is when the animal chooses to work for food instead of just getting it for free. Um, so like if you gave your horse dinner, but you had the dinner also, um, and they preferred to work for it, which is like what a lot of our horses do. Cause like if you have good grass, good hay, alfalfa available, all that, and they still would like to work for the alfalfa pellets, um, they're choosing to work. Um, but it's really hard to create that scenario when you don't have quality hay or grass because we're dealing with the same problem out here. Our grass is absolutely ass this year because of all of the weather. We, the weather, the weather and it being so wet, we didn't get to, um, seed the grass. So it's trash and full of weeds. Um, but we're trying to work on that. But, um, yeah, so maybe just having, like a flake of the best hay you can find or alfalfa set out beside her um, so that she has the option to eat something else. And, um, you know, if she's on the tubbier side or, um, you know, hay is scarce, maybe try to work with her when um, she is fed the hay. Like if she gets fed hay in the a.m. or in the p.m., like try to work when it is out. Um, that way you can try and diminish that a little bit. And another thing that you can do is really up your rate of reinforcement. So do stuff that she's really good at, but try and keep it like really calm. So like for now, I would probably refrain from doing a lot of like trotting behaviors or really quick movement behaviors and stick to more like head lowering or targeting or just like things she can do quickly. Um, another thing that I do when I notice Zoe is getting like really worked up is I kind of like cut my hand a little farther, not in a way where I'm like lowering my hand so she can't get it. Cause you'll probably get bitten trying to do that. But like I cut my hand, so she like has to keep her nose in my hand a little bit longer and eat slower. And that way she knows my hand isn't just going to drop out from under at any moment. Like, one of the mares I work with, Juno, I always notice when I first start working with her, she kind of, like, snags the treats out of my hand because she's worried I'm going to take it away from her because she was starved and came from a kill pen. Um, but she is so fat <laughs> um, and happy now. But um, every time we start, it's the same um, situation where she gets kind of grabby with it. But um, uh, if I keep the rate of reinforcement pretty high and... Um, uh, yeah, so that that seems to work for me a bit. Another thing you could do is work on like um, stuff like cueing for standing still. You know, you could attach a word to that and you could just like continually treat her for that. Or you could do mat work, like um, having her target her feet to a mat where she stands on it. Um, and you just reward her heavily the whole time. Just things that are like really... Um, reward base so you keep a steady stream but also keeping in mind that she has an option to go somewhere else um, I know it sounds like a big hassle and like using negative reinforcement would be easier but especially on a horse that's probably had a history um, it, it would really be beneficial to them to use positive reinforcement um, and help gain that trust in humans and uh, not do it because they're afraid anymore. So, um, yeah, it just, it's, it's worth it. I promise. I know it's really difficult, but it completely changed my relationship with Zoe and it is helping so many horses that I work with just have an entirely different outlook on life. Um, so yeah, I think I would just do your best to, um, have, 
hay or alfalfa or whatever you can get your hands on available to the horse or um yeah I don't know that's that's just really tricky um I don't know anything that has less value than alfalfa pellets um but it's just so tricky because that alfalfa tastes better than nasty old hay um but yeah just try some of those things and maybe that will help hopefully um Okay, so the next message I have here is not a question, but I just wanted to update you guys. Um, one of the um, emailers that sent me an email a few weeks ago asked about um, like having to ride negative reinforcement when you don't want to kick or whip the horse, and that's what your instructor is telling you to do, but there's nobody that trains positive reinforcement near you. I think that was two episodes ago, maybe, um, and I answered the question uh, on episode 18. There it is, yeah. Um, and, um, she wrote back and said, just thought I'd update you. Um, I had a few conversations with local schools and one was more than happy to accommodate me and had my first lesson with them today. It was ACE. The instructor was really understanding and they paired me with the cutest little bean to ride and she's so responsive to quieter cues and just, heck yeah, so much happier. So, um, that is really encouraging and I'm glad it worked. <laughs> so, um, congrats. 100% that is absolutely awesome and has to feel a lot better than doing something that you don't agree with morally and yeah okay so sorry I had to burp <laughs> forgive me okay so a question from a Mackenzie hi Jill I hope you're having a good day your podcast has really inspired me to be more conscious of my horses and behavioral science thank you I am happy you are welcome that is the goal of the podcast um, I'm emailing you in hopes that you can answer my questions about trailering with my six-year-old dressage mare. She lives, um, in a barn at my house where she is turned out and such, but we don't have enough flat space for an arena to ride. I have to trailer her to my nearest area arena, which is 10 minutes away to my trainer's barn for lessons, which is 50 minutes away. And, uh, the best in my area teaches positive reinforcement. Okay. Phone and computer. Um, the best of my area, she teaches with positive reinforcement. Trailers probably three or four times a week to be ridden or once or twice a week before lessons. I've started to notice that these rides cause her a lot of discomfort and she may be developing mild ulcers. She's under lease, so we are waiting for, for a go-ahead from her owner to get an endoscopy. My question is, what are your suggestions to make trailer rides more pleasant and maybe less stress-inducing? I'm already gracious enough to have a mare that loads easily for me. I'd like to return the favor. Since I am training this horse and her owner doesn't want her offloads of work, which I don't agree with, I need to find a way to make her more comfortable because all I want is for her to be happy. By the way, my trailer is a two-horse straight-load trailer. Okay. <clears throat> so what I would do in this situation is, like, if she's loading fine and is totally good with that, um, what I would do is um, treat her with ulcer guard before you get on the trailer. We always did that with our horses when we would go to shows because they would be, like, multiple-hour rides. Um, but just get some tubes of ulcer guard, and I think you give her, like, one notch or something before the trailer um, before the ride there. And, um, yeah, I would just make the experience really positive for her. Um, I've always heard, um, alfalfa coats their stomach and, um, helps prevent ulcers and, um, just makes their tummies feel better. Um, so maybe invest in some bales of alfalfa. And so when you trailer her, you can give her a flake in there and then the trailer will be a really good place because that's where she gets alfalfa. And um, you could probably mix some hay in there with her um, uh, just so she has something to eat the whole way there because that can be a problem for 
um, a lot of horses, you know, because they eat when they are comfortable and eating helps um, reduce stress for them and they are designed to eat all the time. So it would make sense, um, especially if she had like a really good snack to eat in the trailer. Um, I think that that is probably what I would do. Beyond that, you could probably ask your coach, especially if she teaches with positive reinforcement. Um, I'm sure she'd be happy to help you with that. But um, the hardest part is always loading. But yeah, um, if there's any other discomfort, it might be worth getting her checked out by like a chiropractor or something. All that moving could be um, uh, uncomfortable for her. But yeah, I would just, I would treat her with ulcer guard. Um, make sure that her diet doesn't have a ton of sugar in it and, um, then make the trailer a really, really fun place to be. Um, I think that answers that question for the most part. Um, okay. The hold, this one is long. I have to find the question. Okay. That wasn't much of a hold for you, but it was for me. Okay. So this email is really long and I'm going to try and like, you know, condense it a little bit. For you guys, um, but I think that this is something that a lot of people will relate to. Okay, so I recently purchased my first horse um, from my then employer who purchased him to eventually be a lesson horse and had me riding him as my project in my time there. Um, this was an eventing facility and I'd been hired to be a barn manager of 24 plus horses, 60 plus students, and one trainer. I worked for her for a total of two years. She uh, ticked off pretty much every box indicating an abusive and toxic work environment and friendship. However, since she was on the surface uh, nicer than some previous trainers, no screaming, cursing, or throwing traffic cones at me, I let a lot of things slide. Been there, done that. Um, since I was so new to eventing and even just English writing then, um, I was happy, and so I accepted the German martingales draw reins and gag bits without much question. Also been there. Um, gradually the slippery slope started with her, uh, ponies in clear respiratory distress were forced to do lessons, obese ponies were starved all day, hay, grass, grain, uh, etc. for weeks on end, moldy grain was fed, shoes were left on until they fell off, horses were tied, etc., etc. Um, I'd like to think I did my best to help these horses, taking the side reins off when no one was watching, uh, assigning ponies, or, so the sick ones didn't work, accidentally giving the starved ones hay, but uh, I never stopped it. I put on a facade and led to clients about the horse's well-being. Um, I was scared of losing my job and my horse, and I was scared I would not find another barn. That must have been absolutely atrocious. Um, she had gotten in my head and gotten me to believe that she was the pinnacle of training, and if I left, no one would respect me, hire me, teach me, whatever. Panic attacks became regular, sobbing in the kitchen area, attack room, or just a pasture, catching horses was just how it was. That is, oh, that's just a terrible, terrible situation to be in. And for everyone listening, I promise, like, this is all, it, it all wraps up in the end. It's, it's relevant. Um, if it weren't for worrying, these horses wouldn't be fed. I was, if I wasn't around, I wouldn't have been around. My grade slipped. My horse was an anxious mess, and we stopped jumping because I wanted to throw up every time I did. And I finally left. She tried to manipulate me into staying. Painted herself as a victim because I left with her without a barn manager. Gave her a sixty days notice. <laughs> um, some people are just never satisfied. Um, the barn I'm at now is lovely. The trainers are kind. They feed good grain, good hay, and the horses are all good at their jobs and all genuinely like people. They do use traditional training methods, just minimally aversive. Few, very few folks ride with crop or spurs or a bit stronger than a uh, smooth single joint snaffle. 
I don't know why these double S words are giving me so much trouble today. Um, Finn, my horse, has put on weight, um, developed a lovely shine, and is much more laid back. He still has his moments where the trainer approaches too fast and he gets uneasy or someone goes to catch him and he shuts down and runs. Overall, though, he's relaxing and learning that he's not going to get hit, chased off his feet, starved, or cranked in with drawings. I haven't relaxed as much. Don't get me wrong. It's way better. We both love jumping now. Riding makes me smile again. Going to work doesn't make me wish I was dead. Um, God, that's just horrible. Um, but I flinch when trainers walk into the barn. I've cried in more lessons than ever before. I apologize over and over again and still waiting for shit to hit the fan. Thankfully, no one holds it against me. And the head trainer I usually work with makes it a point to remind me that he's proud of me, that I'm doing well, and so is my horse, and he believes in us. Good positive reinforcement. <laughs> um... You study psychology, any tips and tricks that I might um, play on my brain to stop fucking around and just work? Do you know if it's even possible to get back some semblance of normal after those experiences? I tried therapy, but was doing it through my university, and then COVID happened. Um, I probably deserve it, but please don't judge me for staying at the place as long as I did. I was terrified when I left things could get worse, um, because the next person might just carry out the instructions blindly. Stupid, I know, but I wasn't brave enough to leave until I was. Okay, first of all, addressing the things at the end, um, just, there's, there's a lot to unpack here, but the things at the end, um, nobody is judging you for staying at a barn like that, especially if you're getting fucking gaslighted into believing that it's the best of the best and that the, and like, I mean, you're trying to do the best for the horses. And, um, at some point, you know, you really do just have to take care of yourself and your own mental well-being. I mean, you could try reporting it, but things like that are just, it's really hard to pin somebody on, but, um, especially in the horse industry, it's, just commonplace to do things like that. Um, I hope not entirely, but I've heard way too many stories of barns that are like that. Um, but no, you're not stupid for staying at, or staying at all. Like it, <laughs> unfortunately it's a situation that a lot of people get into and you feel guilty for leaving and you, there's just all these emotions feeling like, you know, you're abandoning the horses or that, you're going to be a bad person or you're going to get judged by the trainer for leaving. And that's, that's really hard stuff to walk away from. And, um, just all those emotions put together makes it really difficult. Um, but yeah, I, and also like, I, I am definitely only have a bachelor's degree. I am by no means a professional. And so this, I like, and nobody can diagnose from afar and I am like, not a person to be diagnosing, but it sounds like PTSD to me. Um, but I am want to be clear. I'm not diagnosing. I'm not a professional, but that is, um, that it sounds a lot like PTSD, especially if it's all coming out in a safe space that happens to horses a lot. Um, when they come out of learned helplessness. Um, so if a horse has lived in like fear of when they are going to get beaten or jerked around and so they just kind of shut down and these are the horses that look super bomb proof um but then when they get out of that situation and um are allowed to be a horse and allowed um you know I don't know they just don't have a person that's going to reprimand them all the time um and wants to work with them peacefully they kind of become heathens because <laughs> they are coming out of that learned helplessness and finally waking up again and then you have to reteach them that things are going to be okay and um that's what it sounds like all of those emotions that were suppressed so you could keep doing your job are coming out because you're safe now 
um, and you can actually like think through all of that and feel all of it, it sounds like it's all resurfacing and um, coming out in its true form. And in a way that can be super cleansing because, you know, maybe you weren't able to feel all of that before. But um, that said, it it is um, maladaptive to be in a lesson and break down crying. Um, so, and that's not a judgment statement that's just like obviously you would like to be able to get in the lesson and continue writing without having to stop because you're having a breakdown or a panic attack or what have you um so really i know you said you tried therapy but you know covid is fucking everything up um but that is really going to be your best bet i think like um finding a therapist who specializes in trauma um because i think it's really easy especially in our society where it's all about independence and, um, you know, being able to manage on your own and being strong and admitting weakness is not a thing that happens. Um, it's really easy to be like, oh, something really bad has to happen for it to count as trauma, but that's not the way that I see it. And that's not the way a lot of mental health professionals see it. Um, anything that affected you in a big way and, um, has left lasting effects, especially negative lasting effects, um, is, can count as trauma and it doesn't matter if other people have it worse if it is affecting you it is affecting you at the end um so finding a mental health professional who is skilled and adept and trained in um helping people overcome trauma is probably going to be your best bet i think it would be really beneficial um and probably um prevent you from suffering a lot of unnecessary pain um I'm just such an advocate for finding a good mental health professional, and it's really unfortunate that COVID is screwing that up, but there are some uh, professionals that are willing to do it online and make that adjustment for now. Uh, it's not ideal, but um, it is it is still therapy and still helpful and still somebody who is willing to listen to you and give you advice um, that, if used appropriately, then um, can make a huge difference in your life. And I think this is something that happens to a lot of us from a lot of barns. You get, um, you know, kind of like talked into doing things that don't make you very comfortable. And, um, you, you have to, because, you know, you're worried about the horses or you're worried about how you're going to look. And, uh, it's super unfortunate, but it is something that, um, that happens to a lot of people. So you're definitely not alone. And, um, you know, I don't think there's any one tip or trick that can um, just make you go back to work, but um, the way you put it, um, so you can make your brain stop fucking around and just work, um, just, I would um, encourage you to be a little bit kinder to yourself. Like, I know it's super frustrating to have those problems. I know it is. Anxiety, panic attacks, and like crying uncontrollably and stuff that has all happened to me before and it is inconvenient embarrassing and annoying as hell and it sounds like you have a really good support system to help you through that which is phenomenal and very hard to find so you're already set up for success in that regard um but the thing that's going to make it a lot worse is shame and um every time something like that happens, if you are like, God, I'm so stupid, or I can't believe I'm acting like this, or I just want to get to work and this is so dumb, like, it's it's happening regardless. So my advice and the things that I have learned in my <laughs> short couple of years into 
mental health and my own therapy is that um, shame just makes everything worse. If you can be compassionate towards yourself and in those moments when you are feeling panicky and really awful and you feel like maybe it's unjustified, recognize that it's your body's response to trauma. And um, if, if it is trauma, it sounds like it's trauma, um, but I'm not a professional, so I have to make disclaimers. Um, but it's your body's response. So, you know, sometimes you just have to air that out and just, um, your body hasn't been allowed to process it and it needs to come to the surface and get aired out. And if you try to shove it down by, um, you know, just being like, this is so stupid. I just, my brain's fucked up. Like any of those things are just going to make it worse. Just accept if you can try to accept that this is just a part of the cycle. You have to go through the rocky seas of all the emotions that got suppressed while you were trying to hang on to something, you know? Um, and it has to come out and it has, it's like cleansing. I'm not being super eloquent tonight. I really apologize, but, um, just let, let your body do its cleansing. Things like this happen for a reason. And, um, you know, it's not abnormal and you're not weird or anything like that. It's your body's response to what has happened to you in the past. And it's afraid it's going to happen again. And it's, it's a survival mechanism that's built into all of us. You know, if something horrific has happened before or something that, um, you know, we felt was threatening to us and, um, we're worried it's going to happen again, then it's going to brace for impact. So just, just be a little bit more compassionate if you can, and just recognize it's normal. It's okay. And it's your body's way of trying to cope and, um, you know, a mental health professional will be so much better at giving you advice and coping strategies and things to work on to help this stop happening. Um, I think, um, you know, university professionals are great, but they're not always like specialized. And if you can, um, I know insurance and payment is tricky. Um, but if you have access and you are able, I would try finding a, um, professional that is, um, adept at trauma. Um, I listen a lot to the psychology in Seattle podcast and he always talks about how difficult it is to treat trauma. I don't know because I've never tried before, but, um, I would strongly advise finding somebody who is specialized in it. Um, because others, you know, it's, they have the potential to do more harm than good if they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Um, so not to scare, but, um, uh, you know, everybody's good at something. You can't be good at everything. So I would recommend finding somebody who is really skilled in trauma that can help you work through these so that you can really just enjoy riding and enjoy your horse again. And, you know, I mean, for a bit, it might be worth taking it a step down and like reintroducing yourself slowly back to riding and getting things like going again without putting so much pressure on yourself to get back to where you were and be functioning you know, at the highest level you can just like take it step by step, have some relaxing rides and help your body remember that this is for fun. And it's not something that's super stressful or going to put you in danger any more than horses are dangerous. But I hope that helps somewhat. Um, I think I answered that the best I can, but I really encourage therapy always. Everyone on this, on the face of the earth can benefit from therapy. So on to the next question. Okay, so next question is asking, what do I think of Monty Roberts's training methods? Uh, would they be considered negative reinforcement? Um, I'm not familiar with all of Monty Roberts' work, but he, I'm pretty sure, is the one that um, 
like kind of promoted and started um, join up being a big thing. And join up is definitely negative reinforcement. Standing in the center of an arena, chasing a horse around until they submit um, is definitely negative reinforcement. Also, if you are unaware, has been disproven to be um, the horse submitting to following a leader. Um, But beyond that, would you really want your horse to submit and follow you as a leader because you scared it to death by chasing it around an arena? Like... And don't even get me wrong, like, you can scroll on my YouTube channel and find me doing join up, like, in several different videos. I did it. I bought into the whole thing. I definitely did. Now I'm like, I just, I don't even understand the logic behind it, that if you chase a horse around an arena where they cannot get away from you and you just chase them in circles, um that you are earning respect in what fucking world? Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. And that's not how horses gain respect from one another either. Also, we're not horses. You cannot communicate on the same level that horses can. And that is what Join Up is trying to model, I guess, or replicate, is that you're being the lead mare. Um, But really what's happening, um, because you can do it with a chicken, you can do it with a remote control car, or you could do it with a human. But what's happening um, is that while you're chasing the horse around the arena, what Monty Roberts teaches, from my understanding, is that when the horse has his ear on you, lowers his head, starts licking and chewing, um, all of those are submission behaviors, and um, that means you should take the pressure off. But what's happening is you're rewarding the horse, or the rewarding I use loosely, you're releasing the pressure, which is negatively reinforcing that behavior. So... Um, if the horse is not have his ear on you, not licking and chewing, not lowering his head, he gets chased. But when he starts doing those behaviors, the pressure comes off and then he's like, oh, okay, those are the behaviors that I need to keep doing. He does more of them and, uh, eventually turns in, uh, to face the owner because of the cues that they're giving them, not because the horse is submitting, but because they're looking for a way to reduce the pressure and it's all negative reinforcement, and it does not buy you respect from the horse. It is earned, not taken. And chasing a horse and scaring it is taking whatever you want to call that. It's definitely not respect. It's fear. Um, so, you know, I'm sure Mr. Roberts means well, but that is, um, frankly, an archaic method and has been disproven. So that is my opinion on that. Um, okay. So, on to the next question. I was wondering how you can get a nervous horse on a trailer using positive reinforcement. My horse has been sitting in a paddock for four years after racing and his old owner had forgotten about him. The first few times I tried to get him out of the paddock, he would run away, but now he happily walks from the very end of the paddock up to me. Great. Good on ya. I purchased him a few months ago and he is doing well now, jumping 85 centimeter courses, but he is very nervous when being on the trailer and when it moves, he freaks out. So yeah, I was just wondering how you would deal with that. He also has the habit of kicking out, um, but it's not mean or anything like that. Okay. I'm going to address the trailering first and I'll keep reading. Um, so earlier I talked about how to make the trailer like a really pleasant place. So what you might do, um, cause it sounds like the problem is when the horse is on the trailer, which is similar to the first question I answered, um, but in getting the horse on the trailer, there's a really good book um, called um, Humane Science-Based Horse Training by Elise Muckensturm. What is the other part of her last name? I don't know. It's on Amazon. Just look up the book name. Um, it's Humane Science-Based Horse Training. She has a whole section. I think she even has YouTube videos um, 
called Fair Horsemanship, um, where she talks about how to get a horse to load that are super helpful. Um, essentially, it's just successive approximation. It takes a lot of time, and you need to start before you're trying to take the horse somewhere. So start like a month out um, of teaching the horse that it is a good place. Nothing bad is going to happen. You're not going to get beaten onto it and make it a scary place. Just that each step towards it is good. And then when they get on, very good. And you can back them on. You can load, unload, load, unload, load, unload. Um, make it a really good experience. Um, but being on the trailer, um, you might have to, like, just take it for, like, you know, move it a little bit, reward him, like, have somebody in the truck and you in the trailer if you can, like, if there's a partition um, and you can reward him or you can stand outside and feed him through the window. Um, and you probably need a really high-value reinforcement, like a treat that he really, really likes um, that you don't use all the time. Um and do it that way, you know, just move the trailer like a foot and then reward him and then gradually increase the distance, maybe drive around the property, um, and then gradually increase the length of the rides. Um, okay, on to the next part of the email. He has a habit of kicking out, but not he's not being mean or anything like that. He usually kicks out um, straight out the back with one leg rather than both legs or to the side. He does this quite a lot and is also when he's eating his dinner, but he doesn't do it when he's grazing or riding. So I was just wondering what you think of this as well. Um, okay. So with that, I mean, it depends. That's not a ton of information. If he's only doing it when he's eating dinner, it's probably just like a defense thing, warning other horses not to come near him. He's probably had to fight for his food or been, um, shoved off his food uh, before. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably not something that, um, like I would really worry about unless you have other horses in close proximity. Um, like if they can get fed further apart, that's probably not a bad idea just to decrease his anxiety. Um, you know, if possible, you might start upping his meal so he doesn't just get like two meals a day. Um, maybe he gets really high quality forage and like a ration balancer or something like that, or, um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, so that he's not feeling like, um, it's so rare that he has to, um, fight for it. Um, but yeah, if he's kicking out like in the cross ties or something, um, like when you're brushing him, that is cause for concern because he could be ulceric or he could, um, have a problem with wherever you're brushing. Um, but you didn't say any of that in the email, so I'm not going to go into it. Um, also, how would you prevent horses from getting very pushy with treats because my horse tries to walk into me to get treats as well as his dinner? I've heard something where you teach the horse to move their head away from you and then reward them, but I'm just not sure how to teach that. Sorry for the long message, but I would appreciate it if you get back to me. No worries, my dear. Um, I have an entire video on my Instagram, a whole um, series of videos on how to get started. Um, I will email that to you, but for those of you listening, if you would like to teach that head away behavior, it is very helpful because... What happens most often, and I'm sure those of you that have been following me for a while, I sound like a broken record and I feel like one, but, um, not everybody has heard. Um, but if you, um, reward a horse when they are on top of you or when they're walking into you or when their head is in your space, you're teaching them that that's how they ask for treats. And that is the space that they're going to get it in. Horses are naturally foragers. So they're going to have their nose sniffing for food. Um, it's natural, but it can get dangerous. And that is where, um, people think that horses will start biting. Um, and that's, it's just not the case. Um, 
uh, it's because of a history of reinforcement that they do that and their natural tendencies. But if you only ever reward the horse when their head is away from you, um, then they never get in your space and then you don't get bitten because the horse knows that if their nose is in your space, they're not going to get rewarded. It's when their nose is out of the space. Um, but if you want to watch the video on how I teach that, I have an entire playlist on my YouTube. Just go to Jet Equitheory on YouTube and then click on playlists and then click on positive reinforcement training. It's positive R training. Um, the first video is my video and then that entire playlist. It also has the trailering uh, videos that I talked about earlier, um, but it has all these different ways to teach that and other behaviors, all that good stuff. Um, so that should be really helpful for things like that and getting started. Um, I also um, think I might have a blog post about that on jetequitheory.com. Um, but yeah, okay. Next email. Um, hi, my name is Lily. Um, you probably don't remember me, but you get loads of emails. I'm the girl that asked you to read my other email in the Jill ADHD voice. I do remember that email. It's very cute. Um, question is, my horse doesn't find scratches rewarding, so I can't reward with that. And you're probably like, but Lily, you can use alfalfa pellets. No, I can't. I asked my aunt if she feeds them and she said no. So I asked, can I buy a bag as I want to use them for this thing? I want to go or I want to do with Diana, which is her horse. Um, she's like, no, you can overdose. And I'm like, I did my research, AKA me telling her, um, so that it's hard to give them too many. And she tells me that I shouldn't, um, cause Diana can't have them as, uh, as you won't be able to get on her. She will be hyper. You could say I'm not very experienced. So that's why she said that. And I was like, but I would do my sessions after riding or on days I don't ride or in the morning if I plan to ride that evening. And she tells, still tells me that they are chemically treated and made bullshit and tells me that I can use apples and carrots, um, which I told her are supposed to be jackpot earlier so that I can use instead that are healthier as it is possible to make DIY alfalfa pellets. Or is there anything that I could use to reward that I should just use carrots? Um, okay, so... Um, that email was super hard for me to read for some reason. I don't know why, but, um, this is what I would say. I would say that, um, it's really difficult if she's not allowing you to use the alfalfa pellets, but, um, the problem is that apples and carrots are, um, really high in sugar and are actually what would end up potentially making the horse hyper or giving them ulcers um, or upsetting their stomachs because, um, horses aren't supposed to eat a lot of sugar and alfalfa pellets are lower in sugar. Um, so it is like, it sounds like she's got it a little bit backwards. Um, but I can assure you that alfalfa pellets do not make horses hot, um, or hyper, um, because I, that's what I feed all of my horses. Alfalfa pellets actually, um, you know, like I said earlier, um, with alfalfa flakes, it helps coat their stomach and calm them and, um, prevent ulcers and things of that nature. At least from my understanding, I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm not because my horses, everyone that I work with is very calm and relaxed. And, um, the training is specifically to make the horses calmer, at least in mine. Um, but I would, I would invest some more time in doing some research and maybe putting together like a writing or something where you've done research and you have sources where you can talk about it a little bit more. Um, 
yeah, just like that's really frustrating because that's not, um, especially if you were willing to buy it, um, that's just so difficult in situations like this because there doesn't seem to be a right answer. Um, I mean, if any of you guys have ideas out there, you can send them to me and I'll forward them to her. Um, but that is, that is frustrating. I would just, I would just do more research on it so you can have like a list of nutrition facts and, um, what's in the alfalfa pellets and, um, to some proof that they don't make horses hot, but you have to tread lightly because I of all people know that if you, um, try to tell an adult they're wrong, if they have an ego about it, then, um, you just get shut down regardless of the information that you present. Um, so I would be careful and present it in a way that's not insulting. Um, but yeah, I mean, cause there's a difference between alfalfa pellets and alfalfa cubes. Alfalfa cubes have a tendency to like expand and horses choke on them a lot more, but alfalfa pellets don't really do that. Um, I have yet to have an experience, knock on wood. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I wouldn't use carrots and, um, apples. I'm sorry. That's not the most helpful answer I've ever given in my life, but I really don't know what to do about that, to be honest. Um, okay. Uh, next question. Um, from Lena or Lena. God, I hate names like that. It's pretty name, regardless of which direction it goes, but I don't know how to pronounce it. It's either Lena or Lena. L-E-N-A. Um, anyway, okay. <clears throat> I've been doing positive reinforcement with my gelding for eight months. He loves it, and we still do negative reinforcement with riding and such, but groundwork and fun stuff is with positive reinforcement, which is what a lot of people do, and that's totally fine. Um, he used to be the worst beggar I knew because um, I unknowingly reinforced his begging like we just talked about um now with positive reinforcement he's better but at times he still begs and shoves his face in other people's faces and smiles at them to get food it's super embarrassing because i've spent hours upon hours doing manners work with him and being super obsessed with when to enforce but he still does it any ideas i think i introduced him to positive reinforcement pretty well but he also displays behavior that aren't good sometimes as he gets anxious to get the food and doesn't want to do what I ask and he just begs for the food or backs up when I try and pet him or smile or turns his head away for manners. I've heard of horses displaying push button behaviors when they, uh, they know when they get anxious or I call them, um, base behaviors. Um, I don't want him to do that. I want him to get super chill around the food and not beg. Any advice is helpful. Okay. So I feel like I answered this partially in, um, an earlier question, but, um, so him begging other people is just, I would say that he hasn't generalized the behavior. So with you, he knows that he can keep his face out of your space and he won't get treats, but maybe ask a friend or your coach or your mom or your dad or anybody that you can grab. Um, just another human, just be like, can you help me with this real quick? I'm going to tell you what to do. Don't worry about it. Just listen to what I say and do this with my horse. I need him to generalize to all people. Um, because what can happen is, um, it's kind of like, you know, when you ride your horse, they have specific behaviors. And then when somebody else gets on your horse, they act differently. It's the same thing. They just haven't generalized to all people. Um, we have a few horses out here like Juno. Um, I work with her all the time, but still she likes Sunny so much better than me. And Sunny can do things with her that I can't. And I have just accepted that Sunny just gives off a vibe <laughs> that the horses just really like her and I have to work for it, which is totally fine. And I've accepted it, but it is annoying. Um, Anyway, so yeah, just helping him generalize to other people that, um, you know, they're not going to give him a treat. 
um, because he might not understand that it (laughs) it's not going to work on anybody Um, I would also tell everybody not to give him treats unless they know your training and your protocol Um, I had a similar problem Um, well actually I don't know if you're having that problem but um, the people that work out here aren't like training people Uh, they just feed the horses Um, and they had kids and you know they knew I taught Zoe to smile and they thought it was cute and I look out my window one day and they're just cueing her incessantly just cueing her to smile cueing her to smile cueing her to smile and I was like And they weren't treating her, and I was like, and I tried explaining to them not to do that, um, and that she needed to be treated every time, so then they just started rewarding her, and I was like, oh my god. And finally I had to have um, my boss, Sunny, talk to them and be like, that is the equivalent to riding her horse, that is her training. And um, so I really appreciated that she backed me on that, but... um, it, it is. I mean, it's not, obviously it's not the exact same as riding the horse, but when you're riding, you're training. When you're around a horse, you are training them every single second, whether you know it or not, whether you know how to influence behavior with positive or negative reinforcement, you are using it at all times. Um, and so just them doing that was very frustrating. So I understand that it's really annoying, but don't try not to be embarrassed because I mean, it's a, it's a horse. He has his own mind. He's exploring things and he doesn't know any better. So don't be embarrassed. Um, because, I mean, the same thing happens to me. You know, I try to demonstrate something and the horse won't do it when another person's watching because I get stressed. But um, that said, just try to keep your embarrassment reined in. He's a horse. He is responding to his environment. And um, just be like, okay, well, I guess that's something to work on. Or maybe in those moments you could stop the person and be like, hey, could you help me with something really quick? And ask them to help you with it and engage them in it. And... um That might be a little better and diminish that embarrassment for you. Um, Anyway, um, he gets anxious and doesn't want to do what I ask and he just begs and backs up. Okay, so um, what I answered earlier about him or the previous person's horse um, having some food anxiety. um, Maybe another thing to consider with that that I didn't say on the last one is um, before you start working with him, be sure that you know what you're going to work on. Because I know it is all too easy to just walk out into the pasture and just be like, I guess we'll do this. No, we'll do this now. No, we'll do this. And it's really, really easy to do that. But it can be really frustrating for the horse. So with the horse that gets anxious around food um, and gets worked up, I would make a training plan before. Just sit down like maybe 10 minutes or 20 minutes before you go out to the barn or you work with them and write down what behavior you're going to work on and be flexible with it. Maybe have a plan B, C, um, because, you know, sometimes the horses aren't in the mood to do what you're working on or they present something else and you need to change the plan. Um, but, um, break it down because sometimes we ask for too much and you expect the end behavior because what we're taught in negative reinforcement is to get the end behavior and then release. But in positive reinforcement, we are more about successive approximation, working up to the behavior, gradually increasing criteria. You can't expect a smile, like you can't withhold a treat until the horse smiles and then give it to them. That would only work with some horses that are like really active with their top lip. But um, so you have to reward when the horse wiggles his lip or he moves it at all 
or he lifts it just a little bit. And then you can gradually ask for more and more and more until you have the full smile. And that's, that's how we train everything in positive reinforcement. So if your horse is backing up or begging, um, or getting frustrated, um, take it as a sign that, um, he's confused. It's not that he's begging for food, um, because he's being rude or obnoxious. It's because he doesn't understand and he doesn't know how to get the food. So you have to make it clear for him and you might have to break it down so far into micro teeny tiny steps, at least until, um, he becomes a really adept clicker horse. And then you can like, you can have a little bit more liberty with waiting and hesitation and asking for more, but still it's, it's much kinder to your learner, your learner to, um, uh, break it down further. You know, for people that are struggling with horses with food anxiety and how to break down behaviors, you should really, um, like pull up on YouTube, um, clicker training people like the videos where they do, um, sessions where people try to clicker train each other or grab a friend. If you have one, if you're like me, you don't have one. Um, but grab a friend and try to train them to do something and have them try to train you to do something and see how confusing it is. If they ask for really big steps at the beginning, um, it, it's, it's eye opening. Um, I don't know why I don't talk about that more, but you should definitely try that. Um, and then that'll help you like really understand how far you need to break down the steps. Um, and Zoe's the same way in training, um, actually with the backing up when you try to pet them. Um, I, I think it may be because, um, when I first started training her, um, I taught her to back up from me, like touching her chest, um, which I regret doing to this day. Cause I don't know if that's why, but, um, anywhere I pet her, she backs up. If I pet her on her face, if I pet her on her shoulder or on her rump, she backs up. She just, she does not want to be touched during training and that's fine. She only likes scratches sometimes and it makes me feel a little bit better because I know Mosey Truitt, who is Little Pistol Annie on Instagram, she has a whole course. She always talks about her main horse, Annie, who doesn't really like scratches and Zoe's pretty much the same way. It's a rare day that she's like really into scratches. Uh, most of the time she just walks away and she's like, no thanks. And I think that might be from years of ulcers and stuff like that. Um, but I do try, um, you know, it's not my main focus right now, but, um, when I work with her, when I'm like petting her, I click her for standing still. Um, and that may be something you can work on with him. Um, but yeah, so, um, you say you've heard of horses displaying push button behaviors when they get anxious. So, um, if you don't want him to do that and you want him to be chill around the food, um, correct your training. Um, and I don't want to be harsh in that. I don't mean it harshly, but, um, it's, it's usually an error on the human's part. And that was something that it took me a long time to learn, but, um, I don't blame the horse anymore. <laughs> um, cause it's always operator error unless the horse is dealing with a pain issue. And in that case it's still operator error cause you're not fixing the issue for them. Um, but yeah, so I would just, I would take a look at your training and try and refine it a little bit and see if that helps. And if it, um, if you don't notice a significant change, you may not be breaking it down far enough for him or your rate of reinforcement may not be high enough, or he may not be getting his needs met, um, nutritionally. Okay. So (sighs) next email. So this question is for Anonymous and they write, I have a horse who is 19 and has severe trust issues and I don't think that positive reinforcement will work with them because they get overwhelmed and have a hard time um, really 
you know, just accepting people and trust and that sort of thing. Um, so to that, I would say, um, positive reinforcement definitely works on all horses and saying that it doesn't is like, present me with some science. (laughs) Um, that is not scientifically based. That is anecdotally based from people who don't want to use positive reinforcement, which is fine. You are allowed to use it, but do not, um, not use facts. (laughs) Um, there are things in this world that I have no idea how to train, but I know you can train it with positive reinforcement. I know you can train it with negative reinforcement because, um, that's how we all learn. We all learn through reinforcement. I mean, obviously with humans and there are some other things at play. And if you're not a behaviorist, you know, there are different influences, but to some extent we all learn with reinforcement. And, um, that would be like saying that all horses can't learn from negative reinforcement and people would scoff at that. They would say, that's not true. You can teach anything through negative reinforcement. Um, and that's true, but there is some emotional fallout that comes with that with some horses. Some horses are totally fine with it. Um, or some horses are slightly off put by it, but, um, horses like, um, my mare Zoe and, um, like Juno, who was like horribly abused, um, it doesn't work. You cannot do it. <laughs> like, and I would never, never sit on like Juno, especially I would never sit on her trained with negative reinforcement because a horse that is trained in fear will not protect you, but a horse that trusts you and, um, has faith in your relationship and knows that you won't harm them is much safer. Um, but yeah, it's, like I just there what fact <laughs> backs that that doesn't it just that blows my mind um anyway all animals can be trained with positive reinforcement you can train tigers to back up to a fence and take a shot you can train gorillas to hold out their arms to take shots you can train dolphins to jump through hoops which by the way you can't touch dolphins like to train them you can't lead them with ropes and whips I good luck they'll swim lower um and like, it just, it doesn't work. You have to train them with positive reinforcement. I mean, I guess you don't, but like, it seems a lot more efficient to me and efficient get it. Cause they're fish. Oh, well, um, <clears throat> sorry about that one. Um, but you can literally train any animal predator, prey. It doesn't matter. You can train them all with positive reinforcement. Horses are not excluded. It doesn't matter how old they are. It doesn't matter what baggage they have. You can train them. The, the, conventional wisdom that you can't teach an old dog new tricks is just insulting to the animal's intelligence. You can absolutely teach an old dog new tricks if you know how to train it. Um, but it, it just, it frustrates me and I'm sorry if I'm being a little bit candid tonight. Um, but I just, I don't have the patience for it anymore. I really don't. It takes one whole Google to find out that positive reinforcement is the primary training method for dog training and for zookeeping with much more ferocious animals than horses. Thank you very much. And, um, there are endless studies done on positive reinforcement. Like it works. You can train the same behaviors you can train with negative reinforcement and some that you can't. So, you know, it, it's just, it's just not having science based information, either that or not wanting to use it, which is fine. Admit that you don't want to use it. Like that's what bothers me is that, um, people use that argument and I'm not hating on you emailer just it it it's a sensitive issue for me I guess apparently I'm learning that right now um it's it's frustrating because all the science is there 
And um, you can still choose to use negative reinforcement. Hell yeah, let's do it. But like, don't say that you like positive reinforcement doesn't work because the science will prove you wrong very quickly. Um, so yeah. And I mean, like, I get it. Like, if you don't want to teach your horse, don't do it. Like, nobody's holding your head underwater. Um, but, um, also saying that a horse, like, gets overwhelmed and can't understand new, um, new cues is insulting to the horse's intelligence and your intelligence. Because if you put your mind to it and learned how to train it, um, the horse can absolutely learn it. You know, there is no limit on learning. Just like you don't hit 12 and stop learning. You learn for your entire life. Horses learn for their entire lives. I mean, look at like race horses. They come off the track and do entirely different new careers. Um, and the same thing can happen. There have been thousands of cow ponies or trail ponies that have gotten turned into jumpers and vice versa. Like it, it doesn't matter how old the horse is. The horse can still learn. It might be a little bit more difficult because they have a lot of life experience. And if they've been abused in the past, you may have some more things to overcome. But like with Juno, Juno is a severe abuse case. Like that horse was severely mishandled. But that doesn't mean that she can't learn and that we shouldn't try because it might take a little more time. You know, that's just, that's really frustrating and um, defeatist to me to think that, um, you know, like you just shouldn't. help a horse out because they're a bit older. Um, sorry, that's irritating. And I probably was a bit too, too harsh on that, but it's frustrating for me. So deal with it. Um, okay. Next question, uh, from Nina. Um, I volunteered at a therapeutic riding center where there are about 15 horses. One of the mares who is about 25 years old is labeled the moody mare. When the students, especially, um, taller or larger students ride her, um, and a volunteer is walking next to her. She is prone to nipping only with her lips. Um, the trainer owner isn't against positive reinforcement, but isn't for it either. How would you go about correcting this? Um, so I don't know how large this horse is, but generally there's like, what is it? Like 20% rule. Um, but most horses and riders are fine in that category. Um, I only say that cause you mentioned taller or potentially like, um, heavier students. And I want to preface, I am not against heavy riders in any way, shape or form. That is not what I'm saying. But like if you're riding a 12 hand pony and, or maybe I should go smaller. I don't know. I've ridden a 12 hand pony and I'm five, eight and I felt very wrong about that. (laughs) Um, but like if you're significantly heavier than the horse, maybe get a bigger horse. But, um, like I don't like to ride ponies and I'm five foot eight. Um, but yeah, I, this is a touchy topic, but I'm not in any way advocating that heavier riders shouldn't be riding. But I don't know how big this horse is. If she's 25 years old, I'm sure she doesn't have the best top line in the world. Um, there's potential that there could be kissing spine. It's a little, a little bit fresh on my mind. Um, uh, or her saddle doesn't fit. And, you know, maybe having a larger student or a taller student, um, you know, not like a small child, um, it could be exacerbating that issue. Um, so I would recommend having a saddle fitter out or a chiropractor or getting her back x-rayed. Um, but, um, yeah, cause I mean, like if you're in a therapeutic riding center, like your horses are your money makers. They are the things that are, um, helping these kids. They are the sole tool that you need. So the least we can do is make sure that they are well-treated and cared for. It sounds like this mare is being very polite by nipping only with her lips. Um, but I worry that if, um, you know, it continues, 
um, past, you know, if nobody listens to her, it might escalate. It might not, but it might. And um, I also think that it is in the horse's best interest to just get her checked out and make sure, um, you know, unless she's super small and these people are just like really causing her a lot of pain. That's a very rare occasion. Um, but I would, um, I would really recommend looking into that issue. I mean, you don't necessarily have to use positive reinforcement to correct this issue. I think it might be like more biomechanical needing a chiropractor or some back work, especially if she's getting ridden by multiple people a day, her back might be sore, you know, without an underlying like skeletal issue. Okay. Um, next question. Um, how do you know when a horse is in distress or pain? Um, also, how do you teach a new horse to lunge? My horse won't do it, and it's a lot easier. It shows to lunge rather than walk around when she gets anxious. Um, okay, so how do you know when a horse is in pain or distress? Um, I would recommend for this, I would recommend buying the book called Language Signs and Calming Signals of Horses by Raquel Dreisma. Um, good luck spelling that. <laughs> um, it took me a while to learn. Um, but just on Amazon language signs and calming signals of horses will be your best friend for learning how to read horses expressions it's scientific she used the scientific method did a study many many horses and wrote down her results and explains everything it the book is a a bit dry but it's very educational and it taught me a bunch of new things i've been working with horses for like over a decade um so uh but the short answer um though i regardless of me answering this question, I would highly recommend reading that book if you're asking. Um, It will change your life with your horse, I promise, if you learn how to read them. Um, But horses are in... um, Pain is typically ear pinning, eyes looking worried, um, like when their brow is raised, um, and what we call triangle eyes. um, Or maybe their nose is pulled back and scrunched, tail swishing, um, flinching. Like if you brush their back, you know, you might see all of that together. Um, when I used to brush Zoe, she would pin her ears, pull her nostrils back, sometimes bare her teeth or nip at me. Um, and she would swish her tail and stamp around, um, just very clearly uncomfortable. Um, other indications that horses may be in pain is bucking, rearing, bolting, moving away when you, um, go to mount them. Um, uh, like when you lead them up to the mounting block, if they walk away, Mm, other things, what else do horses do when they're in pain? Limping. Um, but yeah, like just the subtle ones, I assume is what you're asking about. Um, and as far as distress goes, usually high headed, really wide eyes or that worried triangle eye, alert ears, dancing around, um, high tail, um, uh, I don't know what other kinds of distress I'm thinking about, like stressed out sometimes. Some of the more subtle things is like um, if you're hand walking them and they're like grabbing grass really fast, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you can't be that stressed because you're eating. Um, But no, it's actually um, that they're trying to calm themselves down and grazing and eating um, helps calm them down and it's their natural behavior. So they, they do it, but they do it hurriedly where they're like really grabbing at the grass and eating really quickly. Um, they're not relaxed. They're stressed. Um, other things, if they stand with a foot cocked, um, and at alert, obviously context is important. Um, like if their head's down and their eyes are closed and their foot's cocked, they're probably not stressed. Um, but 
yeah okay um teaching a new horse to lunge horse won't do it and it's a lot easier to lunge at shows um than walk her around when she gets anxious um okay well this question is difficult for me to answer because um you're <laughs> like the i the underlying idea here is to wear her out so she stops being anxious um rather than addressing the anxiety it's more of addressing a symptom um so i would i would encourage you to work on um decreasing her stress and anxiety rather than um trying to tire her out um i understand that she might need to get out um you know while you're at a show and not be stuck in a stall the whole time um some shows offer round pins that you can put them in um but obviously not all do um but i would i would just encourage you to take her for really long walks i know it can be difficult because zoe was like that too she was really difficult to walk at shows but if you can bear like maybe pop a podcast in and walk them around for a few hours that you know I mean just let them settle and relax and see everything not to wear them out but just to let them like get out and stretch their legs and start to relax because you know being in a stall can you know god say you know one more time can build up a lot of energy and um perpetuate that anxiety and if you can just get them out, they will eventually settle. But, uh, and maybe take a buddy. Like, if they have a buddy that they trailered with, um, or if you meet somebody, just be like, hey, could you walk your horse around with me? I just want mine to kind of settle, and I think it would help if she had a buddy. And, um, yeah, just stuff like that. I wouldn't really encourage, um, like, lunging. Um, I think I might have a video up on my YouTube on how to lunge if you really want to do that. There are a lot of people that do, but, um, I don't really really prescribe to teaching negative reinforcement things on this podcast as I'm more about, um, positive reinforcement and, um, uh, the way that you're going to do it would likely be with negative reinforcement. Um, there are ways to do it with positive reinforcement, but I don't really want to speak on that at the moment as I have not yet, um, mastered that. Um, it's something that I'm working on with Zoe right now, but I don't want to really talk on it until I like have it figured out. Um, but anyway, I hope that helps. Um, I think that's it for that email. I think we have two more. Let's see if we can burn through these. Um, okay. You guys never fail to, like, there have been, like, three that are like, you can say my name or you can't. Um, and I will respect it. I promise. Um, okay. I've had my mare for only a short amount of time, six months, and we've come a long way, but seem to be having something holding us back. At our barn, there's a back door at the back of the arena where the jumps are. I got my mare for the intention of her being my jumper, so we try to work a lot back there. However, from day one, she's had a fear of the back door. Don't get me wrong, her and I have come a long way. The first time I rode her back there, she got me off twice and spooked at it approximately seven times before I decided to work her away from it. Um, I don't just want to ignore and not work it by buy it anymore do you have any tips absolutely i know alexandra curland um who is like clicker trainer with horses founder um she's the one that like really perpetuated it in the horse world i think um she has um a book that talks about the backdoor itis um i forget which one it is and when i email you i might tell you but um if i can figure it out um, but yeah, uh, she has a book on it and, um, I'm sure she has podcast episodes on it. Her podcast is Equiosity. I think it's only really available on like Apple podcasts. Um, I could be wrong, but I know it's available on their website, which is Equiosity. Um, and you can check that out, but 
Yeah, essentially what I would do, if you ever have the arena to yourself or the barn, um, I would um, turn her loose or have her on the ground with you at a lead rope. And um, you can use a target stick, teach her to target. Um, if she's comfortable around food, obviously you would need to teach her how to work around food first um, so that you don't get hurt. Um, also, I forgot to say it earlier, but like if you have a horse that's really anxious around food or like running you over, work in protected contact first. Um, that's what I talk about in my video on YouTube, um, on how to use positive reinforcement, how to start it and teach manners or rules of the game or whatever you want to call it, uh, head away. Um, do it in protected contact first so that you and the horse can both get away from each other if you need to. Um, and you don't create a safety issue where you might need to defend yourself. Um, anyway, so with this issue, I would be on the ground with them and, um, targeting them and or rewarding them for each step they take closer to the door let her sniff it let her smell it get her really comfortable with it and then you can ask her to do other stuff near it like targeting or smiling or whatever trick she knows um and just like working with her on the ground first um and you you will have to start very far away from the door start where she is comfortable and relaxed and doesn't like exhibit any signs of anxiety or fear or like high alertness and work with her there get her really comfortable and um, get her warmed up going like with targeting or working on whatever behavior you choose and then you can walk a little closer to the door and then do the same thing keep going keep going and you may not get all the way to the door the first couple of days and you might and then the next day you might not get close to the door at all but gradually over time you'll be able to get down to the end of the arena and um, your horse won't have a problem with it at all um but i do think alexander Kerland goes a little bit more into detail about it um but that is what i would do i would definitely work with it on the ground make the back door a really good place to be and um show her that it's not scary and really keep it low stress i would try to work with her when there's maybe nobody in the arena um so there's nothing else um to stress her out um and maybe if she has a buddy um, that she's like super tight with. You could have the owner, um, lead their horse down to the end of the arena if their horse isn't uncomfortable with it and just kind of like show her that it's not scary. Um, yeah, I think that that about covers that one. Um, ba -ba -bum. let's see. Last question. Hold on. I have to get a drink of water. This may just be the longest episode to date, but I really want to get to everybody's questions. So trying to get through them all this is the last one for everyone listening so but it is it is long um okay so i'm just gonna read it to you all so i listened to your last episode of um or to your episode three podcast where you talk about religion and how you felt about it season two episode three to be specific um i want to say that i enjoyed listening to you talk about it and exploring your deepest thoughts and insecurities found it very empowering you're welcome. Um, that was not a fun podcast to make. Second, I want to say that I'm very sorry you had to go through all that. It's a-okay. We have recovered. Um, I'm from Spain, and although it's a very religious country, religion is not lived or experienced in the way it is in America. All my experience with the U.S. is outsider knowledge, sadly, but my boyfriend's from there, so bear with me. I swear all my assumptions don't come from movies, though some definitely do. Um, here, most of us get baptized and then go to church for like a year or two before we take our first communion. Um, that happened when I was 10. Did you say? I'm assuming you're Catholic. I'm assuming, because I don't... Communion, we do it in Baptist church, but... I don't know. That might be Baptist. Do Catholics get baptized? I don't even know. Is that like... I thought they got baptized when they were children. I don't know a whole lot about religion, I'm realizing. I know a lot about my religion, but I don't really know 
or I say my religion, the religion I was raised in. Um, but I don't know too much about, um, others. I, when I was exploring religion, I mostly looked into like Hinduism, Buddhism, atheism, deism, which I finally settled on. Um, but I never really explored other Christian religions because I was like, that's not really for me. Um, <clears throat> okay, so that happened when I was 10. And ever since I've only sat through a service during weddings, my cousins, communions, and funerals, religion isn't really even something that gets discussed. I'm pretty sure if you ask the average Spanish, they'll tell you that they're Christians. It's, def- it's a default setting. But I would bet my left foot they don't go to church, probably read the Bible, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I feel like that goes for a lot of people, um, probably not just Spaniards. Um um, sorry, I choked. Um, ask them general Christians trivia. Um, and they most likely don't know about it. Um, found many parents pray at night, like two years ago. I'm 26 and this was a bit like, wait, what? So what do you exactly do for me? Um, oh, wait, what? Okay, whatever. Um, I guess what I'm trying to ask is that, um, or say is that your religious journey is no different from the one that others go through and it's okay to be different and stand out. You surely know all of this and don't need me to reassure your belief system, but I've had my own huge set of belief issues in which someone would tell me that it's okay. Instead, I'm telling you, well, thank you. Um, and I like, I get, cause I, I want to preface because this email does sound a bit dodgy. Um, no offense emailer, but it sounds a bit attacking of Christian religions and like tearing down people, um, who don't necessarily follow, um, you know, their religion to the T, but, um, it's just a really easy mindset to slip into when you're not like avidly religious that you're just like, well, you don't, you guys don't even do it anyway, but that's, it's nobody's business. And also it's not really something to judge on. Like you're just doing you. And if anything, I'm more for that. Like believe what you want to believe, but it doesn't have to like control every aspect of your life. I get it's a little bit hypocritical, um, to some, but, um, yeah, I mean, live your life. It's not offending me. If you want to believe what you believe and do what you want to do, regardless, like you can go right ahead. Um, anyway, uh, teenagers have a mean way of picking on people's insecurity, insecurities, your isolation or lack of friends in high school comes through religion. Uh, mine came through books. You're mentioned in the podcast is only having a friend in difficult love relationships. I feel you, 26, and only have a couple of real friends, and my boyfriend for three years is now the first relationship I've ever had. Well, congrats that you have had a boyfriend for three years. That is not an easy thing to do. I wouldn't know. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, at least you have a couple of real friends. Uh, my one and only friend... Okay. Sorry, that was loud. Um, my one and only friend here that it took me a full year to make. Like, I finally found somebody. Um, that I get along with and, uh, she's moving (laughs) two hours away. So it's pretty lit. Um, but now it's just me and my boss and the ponies. Um, anyway, I know very well what it is like to be alone aside from my books. That is, yep. Books are wonderful. I have had so much time to read lately. Anyway, um, I've always been left out or I was always left out because I love books and kind of made fun of me for our kids. Oh my God. I'm so sorry, guys. I'm being so ineloquent tonight. It's really irritating me and I'm sure it's irritating you. Um, I love books and kids made fun of me because I loved reading so much. I got picked on all the time. However, I think I reached my lowest in April last year. Ever since I've had the biggest life crisis I can recall. It almost feels like the life has been drained out of me. I have people around me that love me and still feel like I'm trapped in this huge black hole and I don't really know how to get out of. I relate as somebody who experiences depression. It is not a fun thing to be in that mindset. It sucks. Um, uh, when people see me sad, they tell me, um, 
all they tell me is to be jolly and do stuff, but I don't have the will or strength to do things I love. You, however, have something I envy. You have your dog. Not anymore. She doesn't live with me. Um, your horse, your kittens, all of those sources of love that I'm sore, um, sure can hold you through rough times in ways someone's words wouldn't. Uh, um, you know, I'm going to stop here and answer a little bit. Um, okay. So I understand that life is difficult when you've got all of these things that make you feel like you're an outsider. Um, but I want to say that, um, reading and being interested in educating yourself and exploring other worlds through words is nothing to be ashamed of. And, um, kids bullying you, um, in the past is, um, just kids being kids. Kids don't like to read. It's cool to be like, oh, I haven't read a book since I was in sixth grade. But when I hear that, I'm like, you sound kind of dumb, but that's okay. If you don't want to read, that's cool. But don't hate on other people for wanting to read and educate themselves. Um, there is a reason that, you know, some have bigger vocabularies than other. It's because you spend a lot of time looking at words. Um, but it's nothing to be ashamed of at all. If anything, it's something that I admire in people and I love when people are like, oh yeah, I've read so-and-so and I'm like, really? Tell me about it. What did you think? <laughs> um, but I think that thinking that I have dogs and horses and kittens is something to envy. I think it's just a case of, um, the grass is always greener because, um, it, it's not, it doesn't fill the hole, um, that, you know, not having people around you creates like, um, you know, I, I recently, like I said, just made a friend in my town that is very small and people are not necessarily my forte. Wally, can you get out of the bag, please, sir? My cat is like all about this sack. It's very annoying. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really hard for me to make friends because I don't really connect with a lot of people and admitting that it makes me feel like there's a problem with me, but it's fine. It's okay. We're working through that. Um, but I just, I'm not really interested in a lot of the same things that people are interested in. Like I'm interested in horses and, um, doing social media and podcasts and YouTube. And that is not the life of the average 20 year old. Most people my age are in a sorority, enjoying college and worrying about boys. And that's fine, but that's not really where I am at. Love me a good boyfriend. Sure do. But, um, it's not my sole focus though. It was for a short time and that was a toxic relationship. We don't go there. Um, anyway, but Um, I, it definitely does make a difference to have all the fluffies surrounding me. And, um, if I didn't have, um, them and, you know, all my people moved away, I would be very, very lonely. Um, but a lonely, LOL. Um, I'm sorry. I'm almost done talking. (laughs) This podcast has got to end soon because this is not my most eloquent moment. And I almost cut it off halfway through and started over. And that might've been the right call, but whatever. Can't do it all again. Um, anyway. So I just am saying that like you need people and animals can't fill that void. They fill a void, but not the void. It's like, like horses, you know, they need other horses. They're so social animals and you know, a cow or a donkey is not the same. Um, okay. Anyway, all those sources of love that I'm sure hold you through times in the way someone's words wouldn't. I don't have any of that. And gosh, how, how much I would want to have a puppy. My time will come soon. I do hope. I don't want your pity. I'm not wallowing. I just wanted to remind you that um, you have those unconditional sources that love you that you can lean on when words really can't express or console how you feel. That's true. I mean, that is why people have service animals. It's because they don't ask you what's wrong. They are just there to help. Though, um, 
my animals seem to lately just be causing a lot of stress because they keep having problems. Um, but yeah, and it's okay. You don't have to say that you don't want pity. Like, cool. Good on you. But, um, like, it's okay to have problems and be existing in them. You know, we all have issues and it's okay to express them. Um, trying to find a question in here. Um, my last point, I got a question that if you decide you don't want to answer, I've written a short essay here. Okay. Apologies to everyone who did not find that the first half of this email entertaining. Um, but I always find other people's experiences interesting, so might as well. Um, and I feel like you can get some good things out of it anyway. Um, had a question for you. If you don't want to answer, fair enough, I've written an essay. Um, no, I, all of my emails are essays. Um, I'm 26. I've loved horses all my life. I've been obsessed with them for longer than I can remember, but I've never learned to ride them because my parents couldn't afford them, and my dad thought it was stupid and useless. Um, uh, last week, um, as I tried to pull myself out of this dark space I've been in for the best part of a year, um, I decided I'm going to take riding lessons over the summer. Yay, that's so exciting. Uh, here's my question. Am I too late? Do you have any advice? Oh my god, no, girl. 26? Are you kidding? No. Absolutely not too late. Um, just... My advice, I would say, is do not compare yourselves or yourself to people who are younger than you or your age who are skilled because it takes years to develop those skills. Nobody sits on a horse and is just good. Um, you know, like some people advance faster than others, but really, um, just enjoy it. You're doing it because horses bring you joy. Don't let it become a source of um, competition, comparison, feeling insecure and less than just focus on you keep reality in check that you know you're just starting out it's a new thing for you and it doesn't you know it it doesn't matter how fast you progress and that is what we all get caught up in is that so and so rides better has a nicer horse or whatever none of that matters what matters is how you feel on the horse and if it's something that you enjoy hell yeah fucking keep doing it like that's what it's all about is bonding with the animal and enjoying the ride. And, um, yeah, so I, you're absolutely not too late. I just, I know a lot of, um, people who start a bit later in life tend to get caught up in that trap of feeling like you aren't progressing, getting insecure, but you have to keep it, keep it real, you know, that, um, you've only been riding for a month when the people that are younger than you have been riding for 10 years. So just keep it in perspective and remind yourself of that when you're going into it and just enjoy it and let it, um, be peaceful for you. Let it be somewhere where you can just kind of let go and enjoy animals and be with a horse, you know? Um, but anyway, yeah. Also, as far as the dark space goes, therapy might help. I know nobody ever wants to hear that, but as somebody who is going into the mental health field and has done the studying and knows, um, how beneficial it is firsthand because I'm also in therapy and I went to therapy for my depression specifically. It completely changed my perspective on it and had such a huge impact on me. I will say sometimes, um, therapists aren't always the best, or maybe they have a different specialty. It's very hard to be good at everything, but finding somebody who really clicks with you and, um, is a really good professional and has a specialty in what you're looking for. Um, that can be absolutely life-changing and help you, especially if you aren't aware that it's depression. Um, and I mean, I could be totally wrong. You could not be having depression, but that's what it sounds like to me. Um, you know, it, 
it can help educate you and bring you a little bit of peace of mind. Um, like I know just knowing facts about depression helps, um, helps me personally. If I know that, um, it has to end, it always ends. It's just my body processing, um, a lot that's happened recently and I, I know it'll pass and I know it'll get better and I just have to process and take some downtime and really focus on me and, um, cutting myself some slack, doing the best I can with where I'm at and, um, just kind of waiting it out and, um, realizing that it's just kind of a reset and a time to use it like what you're doing, you know, you're using it to find something that you love or that you might love that you've always wanted to do. And, um, you know, my depression made it super easy to do things that I would never have done because I didn't care. I didn't feel anything. It was hard to get out the door and go do those things and get out of bed, but, um, it was easy to do them, um, because I didn't give a fuck. (laughs) Um, but yeah. And normally I'm like a hyper preoccupied person, always worried, but, um, yeah, we're working on that as well in therapy. Um, but therapy is nothing to be ashamed of. It does work. Um, it's just all about finding the right professional and being open to it. Um, but yeah, so maybe give that some thought. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to, um, share that and, uh, answer those questions with you guys. I hope that it was somewhat beneficial. I hope it helped somebody out there and, um, made a difference, but I think with this podcast capping off at about an hour and a half here, um, it's my longest one yet. Um, I want to end it and say thank you to everybody for listening to me ramble for this long. I genuinely apologize for how uneloquent I have been, but I have to get this episode up. Um, it's currently Sunday. Um, tomorrow is Monday and that is when I start my master's program. It's tomorrow. Da, da, da. I'm starting over the summer. So I'm probably going to like want to strangle myself because I'm going to be having so much work right off the bat. Cause I'm taking four courses this summer, two in summer one, two in summer two. And it's, it's going to be a lot of work. I'm also doing, um, Lindsay Partridge, who is uh, harmony horsemanship. <clears throat> I'm doing her online course, which starts tomorrow. Um, I can't vouch for it yet and I don't know, um, what it's going to be like, but, um, I'm really interested to see how her methods work and I may agree with all of it. I may agree with some of it and I may agree with none of it, but, um, I've always respected Lindsay and I really want to see what she's got to say. So I'm going to, um, to give all of that a watch and I'll let you guys know what I think of the course when I get done with it, but it's a 12 week long course, so it'll be a while. Um, but I'm sure it'll give me some topics to talk about on here. Um, but anyway, yeah, I've just got a lot that's about to start up and I wanted to film this episode and I have just been so brain dead all day today. And, um, I've kind of felt like this all week. I've just felt really drained and tired and I'm really contemplating like getting blood work done to see if I got like a deficiency somewhere. Cause I do not feel good. Um, but beyond that, um, other exciting things that are happening. Um, oh, Tomorrow, we're also going to go pick up a mare and a five-month-old filly um, that Sunny acquired. Um, I don't exactly remember the story, but I'm pretty sure the guy just, like, couldn't afford them anymore or didn't want them or something. I don't really remember what happened, but Sunny's taking them, and it's a five-month-old filly that is full-blood thoroughbred, and I think Sunny's going to let her be a racehorse, um, which is... 
obviously not what I want to happen, but I don't have a say in everything. Um, but yeah, I'm going to get to work with her because she's completely unhandled. So it's all me. It's all me for real. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to work with her and then we're going to pull up a three-year-old filly that we have that's untouched. I don't know why I've never worked with her. I guess she's just always been in a paddock far away and I've just never wanted to deal with the other horses around but we're gonna bring her up and put her in a paddock and I'm gonna work with her and work towards hopefully breaking her maybe I don't know or I guess getting her saddle broke I don't know I don't like saying breaking saddle trained um and uh, working on that it's gonna be my job I don't know if I'm actually gonna do the breaking because I've never done that before and it kind of scares the shit out of me but we'll see um and that would be kind of a fun thing to talk about, but I just, I don't know if I'm good enough. (laughs) Um, but yeah, there's that. Also, she has a huge phobia of needles. So, um, that's also going to be something that I'm going to have to work through. Um, because heaven forbid she needs an injection, antibiotics, anesthetic or anything like need to assist. Um, but we're going to move her up top and I'm going to work with her her name is Lexi, um, which is not my favorite name for a horse. That sounds way too human to me. Um, but I don't know. I'll work with her. Maybe I can talk Sunny into renaming her. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't like super people names on horses. And I know that sounds weird because my horse's name is Zoe and that's a people name, but it's also very animal namey. Um, anyway. Um, so I think that's all the things that are happening. Zoe and I are just doing, um, some kiss and spy and rehab. But yeah, I think that that about caps off everything that I've got going on. And now we are at an hour and 31 minutes. Oh my God. I'm going to wrap it up. Um, If you have any questions that you would like me to answer on the podcast, please email me at jetrailpodcast at gmail.com and I will answer your questions. Please let me know if you want me to use your name in the podcast and um, if you want me to answer your question on the podcast. If you email that email, I'm going to assume you want me to answer it on the podcast. Um, So if you don't want me to answer it, then please let me know. Um, if you don't say that you want me to mention your name, I will keep it anonymous, but otherwise I would like to say name so I can separate out the questions easier, but, um, be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at jet Rail podcast. There's also a Facebook page. You can follow me and my horses and everybody that I always talk about on the podcast at jet Equitheory on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And beyond that, I will catch you guys next Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>